0: Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns gets set to shine.
1: Here's Mary. Cigar heard. Here's the jump shot. Jump to Marley. A long three. He got him. He got him. Into Booker. Here's the three. Tuesday. Sir
0: Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley, aka Podcast Boy, and I am joined, as always, by David
2: Nash, aka Darth Nash. David, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Max. It's lottery week. Uh, I'm rolling with the nickname at least for probably the month of May, I'm guessing, and uh, we can keep bringing that one up on the pod, but... Uh, We've got another guest with us this week, and I'm excited to jump into another one of these episodes.
0: Yeah, we have an excellent guest today. Some would say the perfect guest, because he covers kind of exactly what we're going to talk about today. He covers the Philadelphia 76ers for the Athletic Philadelphia and Liberty Ballers. He covers Gonzaga men's basketball for the Gonzaga Bulletin. He writes more broadly about the NBA and NBA draft also. He is the obviously prolific Jackson Frank. Jackson, thanks for joining us.
1: (laughs) The obvious prolific, wow. Um, I mean, I just named like seven
0: outlets, man. You're definitely
1: prolific. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, So like I said, you're perfect for this one because we're going to talk about the playoffs, focusing on a couple of Game 7s that you may have some investment in. Uh, As I said, you cover the Sixers, but you're also a Blazers fan. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I I think for a while, most people just either assumed they didn't know what my fandom was or uh, or they assumed I was a Sixers fan, but... Uh, I've tried to be more vocal about my Blazers fandom in recent recent months I I think most people now who interact with me, interact with me on a regular basis uh know where my allegiance lies so I was actually but, one of
0: those people Jackson I I was like hey who are you a fan of because I didn't know and you're like look at my header idiot it has like 75 <laughs> Damian Lillard faces on it
1: <laughs> No it's yeah it's, we got I got Brandon Roy rocking on my header it's uh, oh, oh yeah yeah not Damian Lillard Brandon Roy right Yeah but uh like you said big, big game 7 coming up in a couple of days biggest game the Blazers have played and God, as long as I've been alive, I think not al- alive. Excuse me. As long as I've been a fan, obviously the two thousand Western Conference Finals, but I was, I, I don't. Three years old, four years old, whatever it was. Too. Yeah, the first only
0: year. one that's coming to mind to me is when the Suns eliminated you guys in 2010. Honestly. <laughs> Other than that, I can't think of
2: anything. <laughs> Gotta get that in there.
1: <laughs> uh, the, the year Was that think, either the second year in a row they lost? Or maybe the second or third year in a row they lost in the first round? When they, during the Roy and Alder's you know,
0: At least you make the uh, playoffs. At least you make the playoffs. Um, so and that, beyond that, we're going to talk about the uh, NBA draft. Obviously, the lottery is upon us. So we're going to continue our prospect series with Jarrett Culver, Kobe White, and Rui Hachimura, who's from Gonzaga. And then we're also going to dive into the big names a little bit. We're going to do Zion, RJ, and Ja Morant to a
2: greater extent than we've done before. Because, we, you know, we want
0: to talk about those guys before uh, before the Suns get
2: the seventh pick next week. <laughs> it might be, might be our last chance to get excited about some of these guys, particularly Zion, Max. Yeah, exactly. But, uh,
0: David, before we move on to any of this stuff, uh, speaking of the lottery, do you want to give a little preview about that and a little recap of what's going on?
2: Yeah, as I said, it's coming up this week. Hopefully we get this pod out with enough time for people to listen before the lottery. But it's going to be Tuesday, May 14th for you guys in the US and 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Although I'm a little skeptical that it'll start at that time. That's when the televised portion of it begins. But (laughs) that's 5.30 for you in Phoenix, Max. And it's uh, Wednesday in the future for me at 10.30 a.m. So I'll be doing my usual... (sighs) Uh, making sure I can uh, try and watch it while pretending to work thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I were you, I would probably just not watch it because it's painful as hell. It is very painful. It's, uh, I guess, getting into that, the the Sun's odds of number one are, of course, 14%. Uh, 13.4% at number 2 12.7% at number 3 and 119 at number 4 uh, the, the most likely is 26% at number 6 max 14.8% if we uh, stay at 5 there and we have a small 7.1% chance of the 7th pick in the draft but uh, for those who don't know there's bit of a process that it goes through the televised portion of it is really just the uh bells and whistles part the the boring part goes behind locked doors to begin with and there's a thousand and one combinations that can get drawn out the the order doesn't matter they pull four numbers out and the suns will have 140 of those uh 1000 combinations and uh it can be repeated if um you know the the same combo comes out a couple of times which i think actually happened last year 3 times with the suns getting the number 1 pick 3 times in a row but just interestingly off the back of that i, I went back through the last 5 years max the last 4 years the first picks actually gone to the, the team sitting in first, obviously the the, the rules were a little different and uh, there was a 25% chance there, so it's it's evened out a little bit more. But Phoenix, Brooklyn, Philly, and Minnesota all were in the number one slot and won the lottery. You have to go back to 2014 where Cleveland jumped up from ninth with a 1.7% chance and mm. won the number one pick. Yeah, Cleveland does well in these, in these lotteries, don't they? <laughs> uh, I will say the last thing before we, we move
0: on a little bit is that uh, well, we'll get into John Morant later. I'm, a, I'm definitely lower on him as a preview. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that that what was it the the 13.4 percent chance at number two that kind of feels like a hundred percent chance to me. <laughs> I know we're we're gonna get him, and I'm gonna have to like it's the same thing as the Aiton thing. I'm gonna have to be the guy who is the Scrooge forever. So I, I just feel like that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, it's it's gonna be really interesting where this where this pick lands, and and therefore. I guess, what our podcast topics are going to be for the next month or so, Max. But uh, as we said before, I'm, I'm excited to talk about all these guys without knowing just yet for at least one more time. Me too. But uh, before we get into any of that stuff, let's get to the playoffs a little bit. we got a playoff game going on now.
0: Jackson, let's we'll start with the Sixers and the Raptors. You obviously cover the Sixers. What are you looking for in Game 7 of the series, which has really just been a complete roller coaster?
1: Yeah, no, it's... It's been a weird series. There's been, what, two, know, two or three games of the six so far that have actually been close. There's been a lot of blowout. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think games one, three, five, and six were all, so two games. We had games two and three were close, or games two and four, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I was one of those people for, for a lot of the regular season, and a lot of it, once after the, the six was traded for Tobias Harris and they had that great starting five and they were beating a lot of good teams and uh, whatnot, and I, I thought they had a good chance to beat Toronto. I liked that they had a lot of star power and scoring upside in the starting lineup. Um and then obviously the issues with Embiid surfaced and they extended into the first round and I was pretty skeptical you know I didn't think the team's best player could be at sixty five percent sixty percent and uh, them have a chance and and yet he's been at worse than that some of the games and they <laughs> here they are in game seven uh so it shows it shows I have no idea what I'm talking about I guess after watching them for ninety five games still or ninety games <laughs> um but I think I think it's gonna come down to Embiid you know he wasn't yeah and
2: wasn't Embiid like uh. Plus forty or something in the last game, (laughs) Jackson.
1: Yeah, he was he was plus forty last game in thirty six minutes, and they were minus twenty nine in the other other eleven minutes or twelve minutes, excuse me. Part of that was their garb. I mean, they gave up a bunch of points in garbage time. They only ended up winning by eleven or whatever. But obviously, the final they were up by twenty most of the second half. And then the fact that Boban was just kind of a disaster yesterday in the in the the brief minutes he played. Um, And so, while I think. Obviously, Embiid is, is a really good player. He's kind of in that right around top ten range for me. Uh, a lot of those plus minus statistics make him look really good because the Sixers' backup center spot is arguably the worst in the NBA in terms of any, like, in terms of like playoffs. You know coverage. who may
0: have helped? You know who may have helped? Them Jackson is uh, Rashawn Holmes. He
1: had a, he had a lot better year in, in Phoenix than he did last year in his first, in, in Philly and in the years before that. But yeah, no, I think I think even even he could have helped, but he he had he has his own issues. He was a lot of. I know he was, pretty, he was pretty solid defensively from what I recall reading and watching this year, um, but he was a lot of offense only in, in Philly. But even yeah, but you are you are right. I think he would be more useful than Amir Johnson and, and Jonah Bolden, Greg Monroe. Um,
0: yeah, it's not good. And uh, I, I, I very much agree with you, and then I'll pass to you, David. To me, this just comes down to, I know Jimmy Butler is going to show up in this Game 7. I know Kawhi Leonard is going to show up in this Game 7. Who else shows up? Are Simmons and Bede and Harris going to show up? Is literally anyone else in Toronto going to show up? <laughs> that's that's kind of what it comes down to to me because, man, that's been the story of this series, hasn't it? It's been, or there's you know, the games the Sixers lose, it's only Jimmy Butler. The games that Toronto loses, it's only Kawhi. The games where, you know, the, one of the teams wins, wins, doesn't is when their supporting cast shows up. And I agree with that. I mean, Bede is the obvious candidate, but I think that if, you know, if Harris and Simmons show up or any combination of Phillies guys show up, or, you know, if, if Lowry decides to have a big moment in playoffs, you know, for once in his career. Or if Pascal Siakam, like, recovers and plays well, I think that's good enough. It's just, to me, these Game 7s are always wars, and the good guys show up,
2: and it's just who else is going to be there to, you know... Just to stand toe or toe when it matters. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, Max. The the secondary cast is really what this is going to come down to. And yeah. as Jackson said at the top there, the natural leaning is to kind of go with Toronto as the home team. But, you know, with the, the pressure that they're faced in the past and, you know, failing to that pressure, it'll be interesting whether Philly can play free and loose and, and maybe have the upset there. But I'm just kind of locked in on the narrative and and what it means for either team that loses game seven and and the impact to those teams you know does Kawhi leave the Raptors uh, and that be his last game there and and maybe partly because no one stood up other than him throughout the whole series or you know are there ramifications for for what Philly do not making it out of the second round but maybe we should transition now to the Denver Portland Mm -hmm. stuff Max.
0: Yeah, let's do it. But you make a good point there. We should have touched on that earlier. This series, That series means more than just the, who goes on in the playoffs. That that means a lot. Yep. Jackson, let's move on to Portland. Your team. Before we go on to the actual games in the Game 7, I have to ask you because uh, David and I have watched a lot of Crazy Suns playoff games. Not recently, obviously, but in the 2000s. But uh, i definitely never watched a four-overtime uh, playoff game as a fan. <laughs> what, what was it like as a fan to experience
1: uh, Um stressful (laughs) yeah Yeah, last friday was was uh was stressful it was fun it was it was all about it was what being super invested in a team was all about um at one point i don't know if it was the second or third overtime uh i want to say third but McCallum took like a really tough step back two or three and bricked it and then Millsap came down and scored uh, on on rodney Hood or something and and i was just i was living i didn't understand i didn't know that I guess they took Harkless out because he was cramping, uh, which is a perfectly reasonable thing for your body to do. But I didn't realize that he was cramping, and so I was just like, "Why the heck? Like, why the hell is Rodney Hood in? Like, he's so, like, and you're putting him on Paul Millsap." And I, I threw my phone across the across the living room, thinking it was just going to land like in a, I don't know, like under the table or something. And it, it connected with the uh, the wall, and now there's a probably about a four inch incision in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so not ideal. Uh, yeah, my 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 housemates were not happy. I'll have to, I'll have to, have to come in my own pocket, unfortunately, to, to fix, it, fix that. But uh, yeah, it was it was super stressful. But uh, obviously, they ended up winning. It was it was just a super fun game, and it, it made me proud to to root for a team that showed that much resilience and never kind of backed down. And you know, they kept it was. I felt like every every uh, overtime when the Blazers took a little bit of a lead early in the in the part of. the over time, and then Denver responded like they were going to win, and then the Blazers had to respond. I think think it's the type of thing every fan should experience, but I wouldn't want them to experience it more than once, because I would I I don't think it'd be healthy for them.
2: Max, I would love to be able to deal with a problem like a hole in my wall from watching a playoff game. Like, that, that's a problem that I that I would happily take on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I used to deal with that problem all the time. I used to make holes <laughs> in my walls with playoff games. It's been a long time. I, yeah. I haven't been able to I'm like a crazy person in a while. Uh, well, only on Twitter yelling about Igor, which I, I loved your point about how uh, how you were mad about the heartless thing at the time, but then realized later, wait, he had cramps. How can I possibly know that? Just a general—we should always realize that when we're criticizing coaches, we don't know what's going on all the time. Sometimes we do, but not always, and that's a good example of the not-always times. But uh, let's go on to the Game 7, because, you know, your your team's about to play in the Game 7. Some fans, when that happens, are neurotic as hell and think they have no chance— other fans are just, you know, ridiculously, hopelessly optimistic and think there's no chance they lose. Uh, I don't know where you're at on that one, Jackson, because I, I th- Dave and I actually talked about this earlier. We, we don't love your guys' chances, so let's see what you have to say.
1: Yeah, no, I, 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 would, I don't love them either. I think it's, I think it's perfectly reasonable. You're playing on the road. I would be lying if I said, yeah, I'm super confident and <laughs> the are pulling it out uh, two days from now. But at the same time, like we said with with the Philly series, it's Game Seven. Things get weird, so yeah, I, I I don't like their chances, but I but I'm someone who who thinks you got you got a good you got a team with experience like this, good coaching, uh, great leadership, great star talent at the top. Um, and, and anything can happen. You know, maybe McCollum goes off again, maybe Seth Curry gets hot. But yeah, I've obviously been a Blazers fan for a long time. I've never experienced a game like this. Um, I think we talked about it before the, we started recording. But the the last time they won uh, this many games of the postseason was 2000, uh, and I believe I was. <laughs> two? Two at the time? Uh, two or three? Jesus Christ, you are young as shit.
2: <laughs> You're making us both feel very old.
1: <laughs> um, So this is the only time they've really had a legit chance to win a second a second round series in a, in a long while. They've put,
2: they've put up a good fight, and I just think that, you know, Max and I were talking about this privately, so I'll throw it to you, Jackson, but, you know, if they... Were to pinch Game Seven here off Denver, I think there's a, a legitimate chance, even with KD out, that you know maybe we get one of those series where they advance and then get trounced. Because I, I just, I really like the Denver matchup against Golden State, particularly if KD's out for a, a few games. Do, do you agree with that? Even as a Portland fan, that we're probably more than likely going to get a better Western Conference Finals if if Denver goes through.
1: I just think Denver's the better. I just think Denver's a better team than Portland. So I, I would agree that. The better team with with the matchup advantage inside uh, would put up a better fight, um, and I would I would probably pick. I don't know what I, I don't know what I have to think about that. Um, yeah, but I would be happy to see get Denver uh, winning two or three, or maybe winning
2: it all um, if if Katie's out or something. It seems like a, a good time to maybe jump to some predictions, Max, because this is all going to date pretty quickly, and by the time the listeners are. Jumping on this podcast, a lot of these game sevens might be decided. So maybe we should we put it on the line. I'll, I'll start off. I'm going to go Philly, Golden State, and Denver. How about you? Do you differ at all, Max?
0: Wow, I'm surprised you went to Philly. I I think Toronto's got the, a pretty big advantage in that game. Uh, I'm going to go f- Golden State, and I'm not going to lie. Even though like my heart, my my head is telling me to take Denver. Because the Milstead matchup is just—it's overwhelming. It really is.
1: Yeah, he's been crushing, crushing everyone this series. He—I mean, they—they they don't
0: have anyone to guard yeah. him. Like they have no one to guard Milstead. Literally, no one.
1: Well, Aminu's been has been terrible this series. So he,
0: he, Aminu's been terrible. Um, but they, they maybe if maybe they found something with Collins, probably not. But maybe I, I don't care. Ga- game 7s are ugly. They're they're just they're all out drag out fights. And in a game like that, I don't trust anyone on Denver. I, I mean, their game seven performance against the San Antonio Spurs was not exactly great. You, you, I mean, you're right to reference it as a good experience building thing, but they weren't good in that game. They were terrible. They were saved by the fact that, you know, San Antonio was horrible.
1: Yeah, they they nearly choked it away, right? They're... They Not
0: only did they nearly choke it away, they just were bad all game.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. I,
0: I just trust Dame. I trust Dame. And I, not only do I just trust Dame, I trust CJ McCollum, too, who I have kind of been down on and low on. In my, you know, in his whole career, but man, these playoffs—he's really shown me something. He's
2: been awesome. Uh, he's really
0: shown the value of a mid-range scorer, like the, somebody who can get his own shot. So I don't know. I, I just trust uh, Portland. I don't trust Jamal Murray. I know he's been good lately, but I could see him falling off. I don't know. Whatever reason, I trust Portland. Uh, all right. So with that, Jackson, what do you think?
1: I'm gonna go. Oh, man, uh, yeah, I think I think Toronto wins. I think they're just they have home court advantage. I think that matters better than they did in game six uh so i'll go toronto there and then i'm going to give it to golden State. i think i think they're up three two with home court advantage still um but whether or not kd plays uh, i just trust them a little more um for whatever reason i could be wrong i'm i'm kind of one of those people that is uh when golden state loses they'll lose i'm happy to be wrong about picking against them but until then uh i'm just gonna pick with the the two-time defending champions and then Yeah, you know, it's it's tough with with Denver and Portland. You know, I I think Dame's Dame's shown some signs of fatigue. Obviously, he was great last night, um, but he's just had to work so flipping hard for about two months now, since or a month and a half since Nurkic went down. I mean, they they went like eleven and two after the Nurkic injury without Nurkic in my column, and I think he had to work so hard there. So I'm I'm gonna go Denver. I just think they have home court advantage. I think they don't have any. That Portland has no one to stop Jokic. I think Murray's kind of a little bit of a groove, but I think it's going to be a close game. I, yeah, I, Mike Malone's
0: got to be just like a, a big sigh of relief after he almost went out to the San Antonio in the first round if it weren't for Jamal Murray exploding in the fourth quarter of Game 2. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to our draft stuff. Uh, before we get into it, we're going to start with the big guys, but we always like to ask our guests uh, kind of what their draft philosophies are. Cause I think it's interesting and important to know like what, what do people think uh, differentiates them from other draft scouts? Cause we all look at the obvious stuff, the talent, the athleticism, but Jackson, what do you think when you, when you watch guys and when you rank guys, et cetera, et cetera, what do you think you do differently than everybody else does?
1: Uh, I've only really been doing this in depth for, uh, I did a little bit last year. Um, I really dove into it late in the season. I'm really still trying to, to figure a lot of that out for me. I try and project what I think a guy's role is going to be in the NBA, um, how I think he's going to be used, how teams view him. So, just for example, a guy I'm a little lower on than consensus, which is I think most people are uh, on on draft Twitter are low on him compared to consensus. Is a guy like RJ Barrett, because I think he's who a lot of people see him as number one option, and that that worries me. A guy maybe a little higher on than than some would be a guy like Romeo Langford, because I think he. Is gonna be put in a role where he's not a first option. So for me, it's trying to figure out how much value a guy is gonna return in his role because it's because that's the name of the game. You know, if you I guess a guy who's gonna make eight million dollars or twelve million dollars a year, um, maybe isn't as good as the guy who's making thirty million dollars a year. But mm-hmm. uh, I want the guy who I think is has better bang for his buck. But yeah, I, I said it a couple minutes ago, but that's just a really it's a really good question. It's something I'm still still kind of searching for. Um, and once I think I start to nail it down, I'll yeah be a lot more confident in my rankings. Yeah, it makes
0: sense. And it's important to know kind of what you don't know uh, always, really when evaluating everything, but especially when evaluating the draft. I I see people, and I understand, like, you know, like we'll get to them later, but guys like R.J. Barrett, like, you should never, I don't care who you are, you shouldn't have R.J. Barrett 20th in this draft class. There's a reason why he was considered... The best guy going into college, like it's just you're you're probably wrong if every single scout in the world thinks he's top five and you think he's twenty. <laughs> uh, you have to somewhat defer to people, but anyway, that's a tangent. Let's move on to Zion Williamson because uh, we want to talk about him because he's fun. Jackson, we've been asking, oh, I guess this question: What do you think Zion Williamson's biggest weakness is?
1: His biggest weakness? Oh man! Yeah, that's. That's a tough one, um, because there's so many things he does really, really, really well. He is very good at a lot of things. That is true. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think I'm a little lower on, maybe not on his defense in general, but a little lower on his gambling. Uh, when it comes to defense, you know, I'd, he is a defensive playmaker, um, and I, I, I think I'm someone which who frowns upon gambling. That's something I'm really trying to kind of shift the shift my ideology because more, the more I talk with people, the more it it shows it shows instincts and the ability to be a defensive playmaker and so i'm trying to shift that uh, belief because i've always kind of been kind of the traditional you know if you'd gamble first deal and don't care that's a bad play no matter what but just talking with a lot of smart people it's sometimes it's a sign of instincts but you just don't quite have the athleticism to, or the reaction time but then i think a, a cop-out answer is, is still the shot um i don't think he's gonna be a not i don't think he's gonna be ben simmons or anything or uh, <laughs> a non-shooter but i but i do wonder you know how much work teams going to respect him from there i I worry that that comes off as kind of a you know the the hot shot radio guy who, who doesn't know Zion Zion Williams is he can't shoot he's terrible but um, <laughs>
0: Zion Williams
1: <laughs> but yeah I, I, so I think a little bit is the gambling you know how is obviously he's a freak athlete and he's not just a freak athlete he's he makes freak athletes look like relatively non good not good athletes mm-hmm. but you know I just think you know in the NBA guys are smart and. They they can move the ball fast. They can throw passes faster. Make make skip passes better. Um, so I just wonder a little bit how that gambling kind of translates because it was so impactful at Duke. So that that would be my that would be me. And I do think it needs to cut weight a little bit, um, not a ton, but obviously I'm not worried about that because I think people forget a lot that being in college you still don't have that much free time. So when you devote your whole life to being a basketball player, uh, and you can just do you don't have to go to class you don't have to worry about doing homework and i i get that a lot of these athletes they're not necessarily studying for six hours a day but they still got you know they still got to work that stuff around their schedule yeah so i would say just shooting a little bit but mainly i guess my biggest question i don't know if it's a concern but i'm curious to just see how the how the gambling the defensive playmaking translates because that was such a a huge part of his game at Duke this year. Yeah, that was
0: the uh, that was the Mitchell thing. Your your favorite guy who you think is better than Devin Booker? Uh, sorry, I had I had to least that at one point. Uh, he was really big on the whole. Oh, I'm not studying class anymore. I get to play basketball twenty four seven. So there you go. That was kind of his thing too, uh, David. We'll start with you on this one, and then we'll, we'll rotate around uh, the Jackson, then I'll finish on this one. Yeah. A big question has, for some reason, emerged, in my opinion, not a real question, but <laughs> what do you think about Zion's fit with DeAndre? And, and you can go to the Suns more generally, but really
2: the focus has been on Zion's fit with DeAndre Ayton. Do you think it's? Do you think it works or doesn't work? I have literally no concerns, Max. I would probably go the other way to saying that I absolutely love the fit with DeAndre Ayton. You and I have spoken about it quite a bit on and off the pod, but you know, obviously, people are going to nitpick at the, the outside shooting. But you know, I would start him at power forward. I'd just make sure that. You know, the other three guys from point guard to small forward can all shoot the rock a little bit, and I don't think you have any problems there. His weak side rim protection stuff is perfect with Aiton because, as you and I have both noted, that's probably Aiton's biggest weakness right now as a a center anchoring the defense. And then the effort that he brings in, in, you know, the... Uh, impact plays as Jackson mentioned before um, and just bringing everyone up a level again something that you and I have discussed quite a bit we've spoken about leadership quite a lot on this roster, but also just overall effort, you know, the impact that someone like Kelly Oubre had um, and, and why the fans really drew to Kelly, I think is because of the effort that he showed out there compared to what we're used to. So I really have no (laughs) concerns at all, Max. I think Kelly Oubre is a great guy to, I guess, compare Zion to a little way in the, in the way that they used him down the stretch there. I think that's really how you would use Uh, Zion very early on, kind of have him coming off curls from the corner, get him going downhill, you know, use Aiton's gravity, Booker's gravity. And as I said, make sure he's got plenty of spacing and shooters out there with him. And I really don't see any other reason to be down on it. But, you know, probably my last point there is I'd also stagger. I'd probably give Williamson the quick pull, maybe five or six minutes into games uh, if he's playing with Aiton. And then I'd probably stagger them quite a bit and, and make sure Zion gets some chances to really operate down low uh, without Aiton in there, particularly until Aiton can prove as, you know, a bit of a stretch guy for the Suns. So, yeah, I'm not. Con- I'm really not concerned about it. I think there's things that you can do with them on the court, and then, as I said, separating them a little bit to have them playing without each other a little bit. But what do you think on that, Max? I, I think you probably should jump in here and-, and give us your thoughts. Oh,
0: sure, yeah, and then we'll get to Jackson. Um, I mean, I totally agree, especially defensively. like. So, Jackson's answer, I think, is right. Uh, Zion's a bit of a gambler on defense, although it often works out well for him, at least in college. Uh, but he also, I would say, I mean, I don't know if he's really proven as like a lateral defender, totally. He's not terrible at it, but if like, be one-on-one in on the perimeter versus somebody who's really kind of matched athleticism, I don't know if he's the best at that. Mm-hmm. And really, that's Aiden's best trait. and we, we saw that a lot with Giannis. Uh, this season, um, you know, they only played twice, and the Milwaukee Bucks probably weren't trying their very, very hardest against the Suns. Yeah, but Ayton actually was really good against Giannis, like he and LeBron too. And LeBron, yeah, he sort of has the perfect mix of the lateral quickness and the quick feet for a guy of his size, but also like being big enough to actually bother yeah. guys of those sizes. So you're totally right that Zion with the uh, the, the weak side rim protection it would cover up for Aiton's weaknesses. But in some ways, I think Aiton, as much as he's a the line of defense, uh, would kind of cover up for uh, Zion's weakness on that end as well, in, in terms of just, Zion's not the guy you want on the perimeter guarding guys like Giannis, who are those freaks, or, or even Kevin Durant, guys who are the freaks who are huge who can also move like guards. Yeah. That's actually, I think Aiton's better suited
2: for that. So they kind of both cover for each other? Yeah, I think they both kind of blanket guys on the perimeter. I think what you said there about Zion's spot on. I think on smaller less athletic guys he's able to kind of what I would call blanket and even Mm -hmm. if they get a little first step on him he kind of is able to recover and shade them through the paint to the point where they're really worried about him I think that's the thing that the Suns used very well with Aiton late in the piece as well so yeah I think that's a great point by you them being able to interchange between each other and Probably the only other thing that I forgot to mention is I think between the two of them, the touch around the rim would mm. be insane on the offensive end. Like it, I just don't think we would miss much around the rim but with those two guys finishing off plays.
0: No, not at all. And I'll make one last point off that, and then we'll go to Jackson. Uh, I think on offense there is a one question mark, and it's a pretty big question mark. I think one of the two has to be able to shoot. But I, I, I feel pretty good about that happening. Like First of all, I think just Aiton alone, I feel pretty good about him being able to shoot eventually because his touch is, as you mentioned, so good. And he's been good for the free throw line from a very long time. It's, it just, I'd be surprised if Aiton in three years can't shoot threes. At least the Joel and B level. Like It'd be surprising to me. And then uh, Zion, I'm probably a little less high on, even though he was a better three-point shooter in college because his, his free throw percentage is not great. But, I mean, I just believe so much in Zion in so many ways. His athleticism, a work ethic. Like, I think there's a pretty good chance he becomes a good shooter too. So if you combine the, the two good chances with those two guys, I feel like there's a very low chance that at least one of them can't shoot. And I think that's what opens them up
2: on offense. Do you know what I love about Duke version of, of Zion, Max? And this is probably a great way to throw to Jackson here because he mentioned Ben Simmons before. Zion at Duke was willing to shoot. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the athleticism that he portrays, all those times that he was left open on the three-point line, you know, he probably could have just attacked the space anyway and finished at the rim most of the time. But he already showed an understanding that he needs to shoot that shot when he's open, particularly going into the pros. So, you know, I'll throw to you, Jackson. What do you think between, I guess, that comparison there to someone like Ben Simmons is the fact that Zion's at least willing to shoot and had okay percentages on those open looks as well. Is that a better thing going into the pros than I guess someone like Ben Simmons, who's, you know, two or three years in now and and is still unwilling to take those shots.
1: No, for, yeah, for sure. The, the sheer willingness to shoot distinguishes those two guys apart. I would say, I think I'm a more confident, in, in Zion's uh, perimeter defense than maybe Max's. Not not more so than, than Aiton or anything. Hmm. Not like disagreeing with that. I think Aiton definitely showed some flashes there this year. You, obviously, you two watched more than I did mm-hmm. of him. But I think he did some really good things there. Um, but anyways, yeah, the, with the shot, Aiton got a lot better as the year went on. I mean, he sh- shot 37% in conference play from three. Um mean, not not many attempts. He's only 10 of 27. Yeah. But he got better. In the The fact is that, yeah, he has really great touch around the rim, whereas Simmons isn't great around the rim. I mean... His percentages are solid. I think he was maybe around 70 percent his first two years, but he doesn't really have a float or anything. You know, a lot of his shots are, are just sheer force forcing the ball in. And it and Zion shoots a pretty soft shot um from three. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but a lot of his makes were really soft. They would kinda just roll in the rim mm-hmm. or whatnot, which I think is a good sign. That's you know, if we want to touch on his teammate, a guy like RJ Barrett had a lot of ugly misses from three of the free throw line, which is I think it's tough, you know, I didn't watch every three point sh- three-pointer they took this year but you know i like it when a guy has soft touch around the rim and has soft touch from three that's always a good sign great point but you 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 both touched on a lot of really good things with regards to the eight and zion fit i like how you kind of you made sure you like i think a lot of times we focus so much on how how two guys or three guys fit together offensively Mm -hmm. and not enough defensively and we or if we do talk about defense it's that one guy's a good defender one guy's a bad defender whereas yeah zion is a fantastic instinctual help defender around the rim or wherever it is uh flying into a passing lane and Aiton's instincts haven't been great there off the ball both in college and in Phoenix but he's he's definitely shown some really good lateral mobility I haven't watched either of those Buck Suns games it's something I really want to watch this summer just because I, I did hear a lot of good things about how he defended Giannis so I'm curious to kind of get, a, get an actual look at that but I, yeah I think that's that's a really good point about the defensive fit is you have a guy who's uh, obviously, a long way to go defensively in Aiton, but has shown some pretty good things uh, on the perimeter and on the ball when he's really focused and he doesn't have to make his own reads. Um, and then you have Zion, who's just a, a monster around the rim. Offensively, yeah, you you, I think it was I think David touched on it. Like, yeah, they're gonna like when those two guys are in, their 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 rim shooting frequency and efficiency is going to be insane. <laughs> yeah. And while neither one's a great shooter right now, that there is an under under discussed idea of of like vertical gravity. You know, like when. When eight rolls to the rim or something, and two guys are gonna have to come at him, or vice versa, um, I think both have shown to be pretty good interior passers. I would, I think Zion's obviously better in that regard, but there's gonna be, you know, if maybe one of them sitting in the corner and, and Zion rolls to the basket and. Both guys come at him and then Eaton crashes in from the corner and you, that little drop-off pass. Um, this, Max,
2: is uh, why I believe you love Brandon Clark and, and why I love the fit with Brandon Clark if if Zion isn't someone that we can get.
0: It's it's one of the many reasons why I love Brandon <laughs> Clark. I love Brandon Clark for a 7,000 reasons.
1: But I just think the idea that despite now one really being a plus shooter right now or commanding a lot of attention beyond the arc, they're going to command all the attention in the paint. Um, and that, in the fact that both of them are pretty solid playmakers for their size. Mm-hmm. You have Booker off the ball, or you have a guy like Kelly Murray who's proven to be fine as a catch and shoot player, or a guy like Mikel Bridges.
0: Don't forget Mikel.
1: There, there you go. That I was, I knew I was missing some other shooter. Yeah, the the fact that if you're two big men can create on the short roll or capitalize on their their vertical roll gravity or whatever um, is super valuable. You know, you don't have just two guys who can finish at the rim and the pick and roll and can't pass for. For, for shit, you have two guys who can finish and they can pass pretty well for their size and their position. Both are going to be totally fine there by the year 2021, 20, 2022, or whatever. When I think it's a legitimate chance they're in high leverage playoff situations or whatever whatever it may right. be. Right. There's
0: still be a ways to go. Uh, I just want to clarify one thing because I agreed with something you said and I want to make sure... That, uh, you know, I don't disagree with it. Uh, I think Zion is a good perimeter defender, like, generally. I don't think he's bad at it. Yeah. Aiton just has that size. He's able to contain somebody like Giannis. Like, Giannis, you know, he's 7 foot whatever he is. Like, who the hell knows how tall he is. And then he has the arms, too. Like, I think, you know, it's possible Zion might struggle with somebody like that. Aiton's just big enough. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes him different. That's that's the only point I wanted to uh, to distinguish because I think everything else you said I I mean I totally agree with.
1: I see what I see what you're saying for sure. Zion six seven whatever it is and yeah you know Giannis just has that kind of overwhelming length and whatever. So yeah I, I definitely see where you're coming from though. So
0: we're gonna save RJ for the Culver discussion because I think that's an interesting comparison uh, as a preview. Uh, but let's go ahead and move into Ja Morant because that's somebody who Suns fans really really like. He plays the position of need. Uh, he's, you know, obviously as the highlights, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Jackson, I actually haven't seen. I don't know where you are on him, but first of all, where are you on him? And then also, do you think he's somebody that makes sense for the Suns?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely a little lower, lower on him than I think uh, some of the consensus is, uh, which I think is. <laughs> Could probably be the the tagline for Draft Twitter. I'm lower on him than the consensus, uh, or, I'm, or I'm higher on him than the consensus, vice versa. Yeah. I, I, I do see a lot of the upside. I see the appeal, but for me, some of the worries I like we talked about it with uh, draft philosophy. I'm worried about him in a scaled down role. You know, I I don't think he's great off the ball. He showed some nice flashes as a cutter yep. at times, but there were a lot of times when he was just kind of loitering around. And Whether or not that's just a product of him having an insanely huge workload on that Murray State team, uh, is we'll, we'll we'll find that out soon. Um, but I just worried about him in a smaller role. And then I'm not sold on the shooting. I know some people are maybe a little higher they point to his free throw percentage and uh and whatnot, but that shot is just so ugly. I mean, it's not Lonzo Ball bad, but it's it's like two handed. Uh, I, th- I think I've read that he's a natural lefty and he shoots righty, and so while it, it's it's fine, he just looks like it's such a push shot. Uh, that really concerns me. And he was about 34% in college. Um, maybe he'll be better as if he just takes more spot up threes. Um, but I think to be to be a really really good lead guard or primary creator, you have to have that pull up game, uh, and he just doesn't really have that right now. Especially if just pulling up off a of pick and roll or whatnot, he was either uh, kind of dancing to a step back three or attacking the rim. Uh, not a lot of mid-range pull-ups. I know. I know you. We're not like. I don't want to be. Oh yeah, I don't like him because he can't shoot a mid-range pull-up. That sounds absurd in 2019. <laughs> but you know, you look at the best uh, primary creators in the league right now. It's guys like Dame and Steph and Harden. Uh, even a guy like Booker to an extent. All those guys can shoot efficiently off the dribble from three and from mid-range. Like, um, and I just don't quite see Jaw being there. Uh, and then obviously that's not even touching on his defense, which is, which is really bad. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, you could look at a guy like Ben Simmons, where the defense was terrible at LSU and now he's, um, but again, I think I see the star upside. He's a heck of a passer when he's on the move. He's really tough to stop. Yeah, His athleticism is a little over overhyped. Um, you can compare it to guys like Westbrook and Darren Fox. I don't think he's on that tier. I think he's a lot better when he's actually mm-hmm. on the move, getting downhill. I don't think from a standstill, he's anywhere close to the explosive, uh, quick first step that a guy like Fox or or Russ has or or had coming in as a prospect Um, so I just have some concerns I don't think Max
2: I want you to jump in here because I know you've probably got a little bit to say on Jar and it is ridiculously uncanny uh, how Jackson has touched on pretty much the Four or five main things that I wanted to say on Jar, so I'll I'll finish on that and tie those links in. But how about you? You let us know what you're thinking about Jar at the moment.
0: No, yeah, I agree. I, Jackson covered a lot of what I think too. The the one set I wanted to, to point out because I think this is the one that scares me the most with Morant. uh I, I looked on Sports Reference. It goes back to 2007 uh, at least for turnovers, and I found that the there's I've tried to find the only players who had five plus turnovers per game, and that. Time span, mm-hmm. uh, and there've been four. There's been some guy named Kevin Galloway, some guy named Josh Sharkey, <laughs> uh, and then Trey Young and John Morant. And I think it's really interesting because those two are being compared. And I, but I think like you know people are gonna look at that and be like, hey, well Trey Young's good, so you know what's the problem? Yeah, Trey Young was a baby little freshman in the Big Twelve, who you know was just trying to lead this team, you know, in a really good conference, and it wore down after a while. I think it's different than John Morant, who was a sophomore in the Ohio Valley Conference. Yeah. And by the way, his turnover rate was just as high in the conference play. It's just like, oh, man, he's not a good decision-maker right now. I'm not saying he could never be, but what really worries me about him is as much as he piles up the assist numbers, he was just playing against competition that wasn't as good as he was, and he was just the entire team. It, it Man, I mean, I could... I see the boom upside, I, I agree with Jackson the, the star, you know, the star upside is definitely there with him. Mm-hmm. But man, if there's somebody I've seen in the last few years who has the biggest chance to bust out of like any of the high level prospects that I've watched, <laughs> it's it's this guy, man. A lot of his scoring thing and the, the twenty-four points per game, which looks great a lot of, you know, using his bounce and his athletic, you know, superiority to dominate players who aren't as good as he is. And getting to
2: the rim a lot, which he's you know, Oh, all the time, find, right? Yeah, find a lot harder in the NBA, particularly to start with. And how
0: many times did you watch him finish by, like, running into people that were, like, white guys who were six foot eight?
1: Yeah, and he, he didn't show a lot of vertical vertical leaping that you want to see from I mean, I, the, the comparison they keep throwing out that I'm referencing is a guy like Darren Fox, like, De'Aaron Fox like jumps over like oh. six ten dudes all the time, you know. And, and there are a lot of times. Oh, De'Aaron I want to get into that too,
0: Jackson. No, Jay, I'm glad you brought him up because I hate when people compare John Moran to De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is like one of the like he is a, a rare unicorn prospect. That dude, if you listen to him talk, he <laughs> well, like he's like yeah. the president of the United States. First of all, <laughs> he's like the most eloquent person I've ever heard in my life. And then also on the athleticism point, he's the quickest player I've ever watched in college in my entire life. He really is. He's he's insane. Yeah. John Morant can jump and he's really athletic. He's not that. He just isn't.
1: Well, he he just he just didn't. I saw a lot of times where he struggled to finish around size and and length. Uh, he didn't quite have, may have the the leaping ability that you want to see from a, a guard like that. Was going to have a lot of his offensive value predicated on finishing at the rim. And touching on a different point guard comparison, you said the Trey Young uh, Morant one. Trey like Morant is a very good passer. Don't get me wrong. He can do a lot of great things. Both hands kick out to the corner. Skip passes. Pocket passes. Mm-hmm. Trey is just on a different, like, just different level as a passer. Like, just, just the IQ, just the things he could do at, at his size with either hand as well. Um, so I get that comparison, but uh, if you watch enough of those guys and you watch Trey this year, uh, the things he can do as a passer are just on a different level than Trey. And so while they, you look, yeah, like the the, the turnovers, or whatever, in college, like, mm-hmm. yeah, you bring up the context of of non of conference play and all that, but just from a passing perspective, Trey is just a lot better and a lot smarter on things he can do and the instincts he has as a passer and read the defense in a, in a way that I don't think Ja is, shown or
2: is going to show and he can shoot he could shoot from the outset yeah. which you know that's really shoot. that's the biggest question mark on uh, Ja right now and you know I love his point guard skills I love his vision I love that dexterity Um, You know, some of the passes that he made are, are, are kind of, you know, making the highlight plays. But, you know, the truth is that a lot of that becomes overrated, particularly at the pointy end of the season in the playoffs. I think, Jackson, you know, I'll touch on the things that you kind of uncannily touched on throughout your bit at the top there. But, you know, you think of the playoffs right now and, you know, what lead guys can't shoot you know Westbrook obviously knocked out in the first round everyone that's still standing right now are are kind of lead guys that are dangerous off the dribble and you know other than I think one game in in March where Jar had that ridiculous start to um, maybe their first or second match um, in March Madness, where he kind of hit a ridiculous amount of shots from three, you know, that is a big question mark over the, the larger sample size of his full college play, so that plus the defense, particularly in Phoenix with a guy like Booker would just be a disaster, and we need to, you know, be pretty cautious about that. Jackson, you made the Simmons comparison, and, you know, I think it, it's a comparison that's going to get made because of heavy workload, how interested is he in playing college, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but something I've mentioned with Simmons a lot is the there was stories of him competing with pros at night camps, you know, guys like James Harden, LeBron, KD, and, and def- defending them before he even went to LSU. And I think, you know, it's a dangerous comparison to make, just like it's a dangerous comparison to make to Trey Young, to kind of just nitpick one little thing and use that as the justifier of why Ja J- Morant is, is going to be okay. And then probably the last thing, which you mentioned right at the top there, is James Jones made some really interesting comments Uh, This week, Max, about, you know, or or it was leaked out, I believe. I don't think James Jones made it directly himself that, you know, Jar wouldn't start on the Suns if they selected him and they'd look to get a a veteran point guard in to uh, cover that duty for the Suns. And Jar's a guy that I'd love to be in the room at his interview at the Combine for. Mm -hmm. I'd ask him that that question. You know, I'd want to hear his answer to... You know whether he's open. You'd expect all you know cocky young point guards to kind of say, "No, I want to start." But is it is it going to be a, a negative answer from that respect, or is he going to say, "You know, I'm I'm open to it and and competing for the spot, and you know I only want to start if I'm deserving of starting." Because as Jackson said at the top, there in a, in a lesser role, it would be really interesting to see how Jar both takes to that and also how he performs on the court, Max.
0: Yeah, and that's a whole other problem with Ja Morant, is even if he becomes the star that we, you know, the people who love him hope he becomes, and I honestly, we all can kind of see that he can become that at some point. Yeah. It's it's very unlikely to happen early. That almost never happens with any point guard, um, especially one who's, you know, kind of with the way he plays. Mm -hmm. So, like, if he's not a star right away, like, what is he for the Suns? The, The Suns have Devin Booker, who they're obviously trying to build around, like, to the extent you're taking the ball out of Devin Booker's hands and giving it to somebody who's bad, like, we saw what happens with that. It's Josh Jackson. <laughs> like, how much do you want to watch a shitty player have the ball in his hands for the next two years? Like, this team needs to win, yeah. like, you know, soon. Like, we were supposed to win last year, so if we don't win next year, like, when are we going to win? So it's like, if you draft John Morant, I don't, this is too strong, but almost it's like, then you might as well fucking trade Devin Booker. <laughs> like, I, I swear to God, I almost feel that way. Because, like, It's so hard for me to see John Morant and Devin Booker working together within the next two years that it's just... It's such a hard... mm, I don't know, man. I don't like it. This is why I said earlier that I think there's a 100% chance to get the number two pick because I think this is going to happen to me.
2: (laughs) Yep. And we've got Did You Know to put in the middle there, but that's a great segue into why I have uh, a guy that we're about to talk about very soon above both John Morant and RJ Barrett now. And I think Jackson mentioned it before with RJ's both of those guys to reach their kind of peak potential in the NBA, you've kind of got to hand over the keys and build around them. And as you smartly say, Max, that the Suns aren't in a position to do that.
1: Well, I think at least with RJ there, you can see, like I, I can foresee a role where he's a second or third guy and does well, but my issue, it's different a little bit with jaw where I would think he would struggle in that role. My issue is I think people see RJ as number one and that concerns me. And you know, I, I worry that, and I think that maybe that's maybe that's a little too unfair. Maybe that's unfair to him and for me to assume how teams are going to deploy him. Um, but I just worry that they see this guy who was a, a he put up twenty three seven and four at Duke. He was the number one ranked guy in his class, and they see him as a as a star who can be the number one guy on your team mm-hmm. from, from the get go. But yeah, but I but so I think I have concerns with them for different reasons in terms of being the number one guy. But yeah, I think for every for every reason that Max touched on is is totally fair. Um, I would say though that I think a lot of these guys are going to take time. Um, you know, this is we've been spoiled with the last couple of years with with really, really good classes who are performing from day one. Um, where I think there's a lot of nice guys who can, can help fill a need as a role player. I don't think it's quite maybe as bad as, as some people are making it out to be at the top. I, I see where really it falls short compared to recent classes, but I do think there are a lot of guys that can be useful. Yeah, I think the
0: difference, the difference is taking time is fine when you're a wing or you can, you know, fill a small usage role, taking time is tougher when you're a
1: lead ball handler. Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. That's a
0: good good point. Okay. Uh, Wait, should we go to Did You Know now? All right,
2: Max. With Jackson joining us for the full episode, I thought it was only right to both keep it short and also involve him as much as I could on this one. So you're off the hook this week and I will deal with Jackson specifically. So guys... Did you know, no Gonzaga Bulldog has played in the NBA for the Phoenix Suns? That's right, the team that Jackson has followed and written about has had 17 players make it to the NBA, but never has one been drafted by or played a single minute for our Suns. Quiz time for you, Jackson. Can you name any past Gonzaga player who made it in the NBA?
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I I think I'll I'll go with him. I'll go with I'll go with Dan Dickow.
2: Ooh.
1: Play for the Blazers for a few years. Uh a couple other teams, but I know him from from his time as a Blazer a couple couple years But then you got the the more recent guys, Zach Collins playing for the Blazers now and Kelly Olinick, obviously. Yeah. I don't know if obviously Nigel Williams Jostin never played in the NBA, but uh the Jazz have his draft rights still. Um you have the John Stocktons, obviously, but It would take me a while to think of the other guys.
2: I'll throw the rest that I've got written down now. So John Stockton, easily the most famous of the lot, as you mentioned. Uh, Adam Morrison, who was picked third in the 2006 NBA draft. There's some... Current players, as you said, Kelly Olenek, Zach Collins, DeMantis Sabonis, and Jonathan Williams. A few recent players who I first watched in college because uh, the adopted Aussie program at St. Mary's, led by Paddy Mills, uh, yeah. brought up many rivalry games with Gonzaga. But yeah, Robert Sakura, uh Austin Day, and, and Jeremy Pargo were part of those teams that I watched early on. And then there's one of my favorite... Past players who ended up playing for seven NBA teams, the most by any Bulldog. The teams were Golden State, the Clippers, the Lakers, Ooh. Miami, Minnesota, New York, and Washington. Jackson. This is. Ronnie Turiaf? Ah, oh, well, you've, you've beat me to it. I was going to give you a couple of chances there, but yeah, Ronnie Turiaf was the one from 2005 to 2015. In the NBA, so wow. that was an interesting one. I'll throw another quiz. Seeing you got that one so easily, can you tell me which player played for the Suns at the 2014 Summer League from Gonzaga? Double points if you can get this one.
1: 2014, oh, the 2014 Summer League. Um, I was maybe in the start of their Sweet 16 run. Trying to think, like what what team that was. It might have been like a. I'll
2: give I'll give you a big clue. We've we've mentioned a relative of his already.
1: Ah, uh, it's it David Stockton. It is
2: David Stockton. Might my be. first
1: gut was gonna say Kyle Wilcher, but then I realized he was a couple of years later to to enter the league. <laughs> um.
2: Yeah, so David Stockton might be the bulldog who's come the closest to anyone with a link to the Phoenix Suns. As I said, in 2014, he had a draft workout with the Suns along with Jordan Clarkson, of all people. Uh, At that workout, he noted that the Suns coach, Jeff Hornacek, at the time, coached him in the third and fourth grade and (laughs) joked that Hornacek had taken a a, a bit of a step up since then but while Stockton's six-game NBA career with Sacramento and Utah with a trip over to my local league the NBL with the New Zealand Breakers in the middle there isn't exactly anything to write home about he does have an interesting tie to the current state of the Phoenix Suns which guys we will end on this week after going undrafted in 2014 where he worked out for the Suns He returned to suit up for the Suns in Vegas Summer League. He then returned to Vegas in 2017, again to play with the Phoenix Suns. So here's the final test. And uh, Jackson, this will be a tough one, but you can probably just go with a, a random answer here. But stay with me for a minute. In 2014, Stockton ran point on a team that had four players that are still in the NBA today. In 2017, the 15-man roster had eight guys who were still in the NBA last season. If I asked you how many of those total 12 players from both seasons were now on other NBA teams that aren't the Suns, how many would you guess?
1: So these, these are the two. These are Suns Summer League rosters. Correct. Oh, 14 and 17 other NBA teams of the 12. So there's tw- so there's 12. 12- there's 12 guys that are still in the NBA. Correct. I'm going to go... Eight of them are on other teams.
2: Ooh, really close. The answer is nine. <sighs> Seth Curry, <laughs> Alex Len, and Miles Plumley from 2014, plus Marquise Chris, Shaq Harrison, Derek Jones Jr., Devon Reed, Tyler Ulis, and Christian Wood from 2017. <laughs> in fact, the only three... That are still with the Suns, which makes up the 12, are Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender, and TJ Warren, all of which look to be on shaky ground this offseason to return with Phoenix. So, Max, I know you'll be happy if Brandon Clark becomes the first ever Gonzaga Bulldog to play for the Suns, but there's also <laughs> Rui Hachimura in this draft, who I believe we're going to talk about with a couple of other prospects here.
0: Yeah, I'll be a little less happy if Rui Hachimura is the first Gonzaga to play for the Suns, but... Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Stake through my heart but
0: yeah uh yeah we're getting on to our next part of our draft though let's, let's get into jared culver a 20 year old sophomore silk from the ncaa runner-up texas tech red raiders he's listed somewhere between six five and six seven i think he's close to six, seven these days uh 200 ish pounds he's listed too often but he's more of a wing Yep. I've seen wingspan guesses from six eleven to six or seven one, but he's seven one, I think, or at least he's got a big wingspan. Uh, he'll be twenty one years old next
2: February. David, where's Copper going in Max? I'm glad you touched on the height and wingspan there because I definitely wanted to bring that up because I think we're underselling him on the, the current measurements. But last time I looked, the Steepian had him at number two, Max. Red had him at four. ESPN had him at six. Bleacher Report had him at four. The Ringer had him at four. Sam Vecini's uh, mock draft, I believe, had him at five, and Yahoo had him at five max. So pretty consistent inside the top five for Jarrett Culver. And I'll start off by saying I've slotted him in at number two on my board, mm. Max. Wow, Jackson,
0: what do you think? Where you have him, and what's your take on him?
1: Yeah, no, I got him. I got him there as well. I wanna say the first guy not the first guy I know of that had him number two was uh was Ross Holman, I think, who writes for the, the Step the It's I can tell you guys,
0: it's Steppian. It's Stepion. <laughs> go
1: Stepien. There we go. Gavel down is Stepian. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so I've got him too. I'm partial to wings. I think there are if you're bigger, it's easier to make an impact in, in basketball. Yeah. Or at least if you're a wing, I think. Uh I really like a lot kind of his all around game. Uh I think his his defense is phenomenal. Uh, I think that's a really underrated part of, of his game. I really like the passing as well. I think he can make a lot of really nice passes. And then yeah, the size is interesting. I I got to watch him up close uh, mm-hmm. twice when I was covering Gonzaga at the the Anaheim Regional. Um, I want to say he's probably about six 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 and a half in in basketball shoes. That's just me. I didn't get a, I didn't get a super up close look of him standing standing up. Um, I would say I talked to him a couple of times, but he was sitting down. So yeah, I think he's about six, 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 six and a half. I wrote a piece on him maybe about a month ago uh, over at the Step Back Fan Sided, and I think I said he was, I think I gave him like a six ten, six eleven wingspan. But yeah, I've got him too. I just think he could do a lot, of, lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Little, little worried about his own scoring upside, but I, I'm not that worried. The, the shot I think is something that's going to be talked about a lot in the next month or so. Um, but I think it's really important to note that he changed his whole, his whole shot form. Between his freshman and sophomore years, he shot like thirty eight percent for three as a freshman, but it was ugly. It looked a lot like Lonzo Ball, to be honest. He started on the left side of his face. I would say kind for, of
2: it. for anyone listening, go and go and watch him. You know, go watch freshman Jarrett Culver shoot the basketball versus uh, the last season Jarrett Culver because yeah, as you said, it, it's night and day, and and very much still a work in progress there. I think, and there's reason to be to be optimistic about that. I think Jackson.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And the, the thing I noticed a lot watching him is. The release itself is still inconsistent. There are times when it looks really smooth, and you wouldn't yep. you wouldn't have any issues with it. And there are times where there's still a little bit of a hitch in the release, um, which is natural. I mean, he changed it in the span of eight months or whatever, and you try and change your whole shot form, and then you become the yep. the primary creator and, and lead lead offensive lead ball handler. Um, you're going to have some inconsistencies there, so I, I, I'm not worried at all. I think in in due time, it'll be it'll be fluid, it'll be smooth. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe his his free throw percentage took a significant jump as well. Um, which I think is always a good sign. I think anyone who's kind of embedded in draft Twitter or or just NBA Twitter in general um, knows that free throw shooting is an important kind of barometer of being a good three-point shooter. Yeah, he went from 65% to 71%. From the free throw line.
2: Which still isn't great, but, you know, going in the right direction, I suppose. He's
1: growing, he's getting better there. Um, Yeah, doubling his volume from the free throw line and jumping up 6% is a huge uh, encouraging thing for me. But yeah, I'm just a huge fan of all the different ways he can make an impact on the game. I think to an extent, maybe, maybe versatility can get overrated sometimes, but... I don't think he's just kind of okay at a lot of things. I think he's really good at a lot of things.
0: All right, so I guess I have to be the asshole here. <laughs> when I first watched Jarrett Culver, I was really in on him um, when he's a freshman. And then I watched him again. Even the first time I watched him this year, I was really in on him. Yeah, He is very easy to fall in love with. He's really fun to watch. He's so smooth. He's silky. That's why David calls him silk. Yep. <laughs> he's awesome. I love him in my heart. My brain is terrified of him. I don't like guys... And this is something that I've just developed over time, I'm just watching a lot because I'm old. Guys in college who are not great at anything but are really, really good at a lot of things tend to not translate. I, I get concerned because, you guys are right, he changed his shot, fine. I, I agree that the free throw percentage went up 65 51 that's great. The point percentage is dropping to 30. like Not great, especially because it started early in the season great and went down to like 20 later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the true shooting overall went down. He was less efficient this year as a sophomore, which scares me a little bit. The passing is good. I agree. I love a lot of the passing, but he was still like a 3.7 assist, 2.7 turnover. It's not the best ratio of all time. Yep. I, I, I love the defense. I think the defense is going to be good. I'm not concerned about the defense. I'm concerned about like, what is his offensive... like? What's he going to be... Year one, year two in the NBA, like what's his calling card going to be? What's he going to do on offense? And the comparison, and this will be, uh, Jackson, you're a Blazers fan. This is I, I'm the first one to make this comparison, but this guy's Evan Turner to me. I swear to God I'm watching Evan Turner 2.0. If you watch Evan Turner in college, he was actually better than Jared Culver is right now, and, but very similar. Did all the same things. He was great at everything, not like elite at anything. And those are the kind of guys who freak me out. Um, because in the NBA, you need to be elite at things. If you're not elite at anything, you're not, you're not really anything. You're what Evan Turner is now. You make $72 million a year, and you're a bench player who sometimes just is not there. So I, I, guess, I guess my question, I'll, I'll direct it to either one of you, whoever wants to go first. Like, What's your rebuttal to that? Like, What do you think Jarrett Culver on offense is going to be great at right away?
1: I'll kind of go into that. So I, I get the concerns with the efficiency from three and the overall scoring efficiency. Um, and that's something I actually kind of address, I addressed in the, the piece I wrote about Culver last month, he was he played a role that was well beyond what he was gonna, he's going he's going to be asked to do in the NBA, and that was well beyond what he should be doing in college. You know he he was a primary option on a team that wasn't great offensively, and I think if you get him on a team like the Suns where he's the second option on the perimeter, that's that's awesome. Uh, and so while I think the the assist to turnover ratio isn't ideal, um, he had to just force so many passes and so many plays, and that I think he is a guy to a little bit to the extent that you just you just have to trust the tape. Yep. I think there is a lot of value in, in statistics, and but I think so often with college prospects, they play roles that are not the ones they're going to play in the NBA, and they're thrust into such high-use situations. I do understand the concerns with his scoring efficiency and scoring role. He's not a great athlete. He has a solid first step. Um, a lot of his ability to get to the rim is crafted on kind of offbeat rhythm and, and whatnot. But I would just say that I think when he's not shooting a ton of pull-up jumpers... Uh, his three point percentage is going to be a lot better. He's such a great finisher. So many different ways to score at the rim, which I love. Mm-hmm. But I understand some of the hesitancy. But uh, the Evan Turner comp, comp, I think I get. But At the same time, he's like Turner. Who, if Turner could defend, actually shot threes. Um, and even then, that distinguishes him. And I think he's going to be a fine three point shooter. And uh, I think he has all NBA defense upside like I think he's that good defensively um, I will say and, that real quick
0: Evan Turner was a much better three-point shooter
1: in college than uh, Jared Culver was that's fair but God, Turner's, Turner's form is so bad
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think the jump is still very much a work in progress Max as I said before there's if you go back and watch the freshman stuff there was a real hitch in it that he he got out in his sophomore season but it there is some kind of it's a little too wristy at the the top end of the release, which I think he still needs to work on. I think that really affects his deeper NBA range stuff. So that's definitely a a big question mark and something that he needs to get better at. But I guess to disagree with you and and maybe end it on a positive note before we we go with Kobe White, I just think he's got a great feel for the game. Uh, He plays extremely hard. I think he's extremely smart on both sides of the ball, which I'm trying to value a hell of a lot more in prospects this year, Max. And I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, in this draft specifically, I've got him jumping... Guys like Jar and and, and RJ because you know as you said at the top there your, your question Max like what's he going to be in the NBA I, I'm much more comfortable with what Culver's going to be in the NBA early on as a secondary piece um, that kind of adds to his skills rather than someone like Jar or or RJ that you've kind of got to tear things down and and build around so I'm really high on him obviously having him at number two speaks to that and yeah you know, I'm high on him for from both ends of the ball I think he can be a point of attack defender guarding kind of one through three and I think that's going to be super valuable with him in the NBA and offensively you know there's some stuff to work on but you know I think it'll be a build for him in the NBA I think he can come in and be that secondary piece I actually really love the fit with the Suns from that respect over some of these other guys as I mentioned and then you know who knows on top of that maybe he can I'm pretty confident that he can be a a three-level scorer in the NBA eventually, and I think he's the best non-Zion prospect in the class um, to have a a legitimate chance of being an impactful two-way guy in the playoffs. You know, the guys like Butler, Kawhi, uh, to a lesser extent, Middleton in these playoffs. I think that's kind of what I see in Jarrett Culver right now.
0: So I want to be real clear here. I don't hate Jarrett Culver. I'm, to extent, <laughs> I'm extent playing devil's advocate. Yeah, I still have him like top five or six, probably top five. I think everything's done. Yeah, of course. I just see some some lack of upside with him too, to a certain extent. But I want to ask you guys a real quick question before we move on to Kobe White. and We'll move on after this would you rather have Mikel Bridges or Jarrett Culver on your team going forward in the NBA? Uh,
2: why not both max? Oh, no, no, you gotta
0: pick one.
2: <laughs> I, I actually, you know, touching on what I mentioned before with the fit with Booker, I think both having Culver and Bridges, if you're, you're high on Devin Booker being a uh, point book, I think they're the perfect two pieces to have either side of him. No, but, you gotta pick one. Uh, hey, hey, hey. If I had to pick one, I'd actually go Jarrett
0: Culver. Okay. How about you? Jackson?
2: I think I would go Bridges to be honest. Um,
1: I like Culver a lot, but I think what we've—I think Bridges is going to be a phenomenal three-point shooter. He's already shown a heck of a lot on defense. I like Culver's defense a lot. I—I uh, I think he has all defense upside, but um, I do think there'll be some times when he struggles against uh, uh, quicker guys, and Bridges struggles there a little bit to an extent. But he's got probably about three inches of, of length and about probably an inch and a half or so of, of height. And um, I just think b- being bigger and it allows you to stay in front of guys easier. So I like his defensive upside more, and then I think, uh, I think he's gonna be great, great three point shooter, both off the catch, off movement, and then he's shown the ability to attack close out. And so I think that's all viable. And the fact that he's shown all those things at NBA level, didn't do all of them consistently, at least on the offensive end, was fantastic defensively all season. I just like the known commodities and seeing that, seeing that I've already, he's already flashed a lot of those things in the NBA. Where's Culver is still an unknown because he hasn't played in the NBA.
0: For me, it's pretty easily Mikel Bridges, but I I do love how I said, the first thing I said when I watched Eric Culver is that David was going to love just the absolute F out of him. <laughs> and uh, I was right. So I'm glad I was right about that. We, we know uh, each other
2: well, because I'm pretty sure I knew the exact same thing when I watched Brandon Clark, Max.
0: <laughs> it's true. It is really true. Uh, all right, let's move on to Kobe White, a 19-year-old freshman from North Carolina listed as a 6'5", 185-pound PG slash SG, which we'll touch on. Uh, his wingspan is about 6'4", 6'5", I've seen, so about neutral. He'll be 20 next February. David, where's Kobe going to Mox?
2: Uh, He's pretty consistently around the 10, so the Stepien have him at 9, Red has him at 7, ESPN at 10, Bleacher Report at 8, Uh, the Ringer have him all the way at 16, although I'm sure that's going to be updated shortly, Sam Vecini had him at 8 in his mock, and Yahoo had him at 7 max, and Kobe White is fast. That's what I want to say very, <laughs> very much off the, off the top, and I've nicknamed him Tar Heel, which is obviously not all that original with the team that he played for, Max, but uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter would have seen the highlight that I posted where he literally backed a guy out of his shoe as if the heel of the shoe was stuck in Tar, Max, so that's where that nickname mm, comes from.
0: That's clever. You're clever sometimes, but <laughs> I have to give you credit. Uh, Jackson, you have studied Kobe White closely. What do you think about
1: you, him? You've listed two guys that I, I guess I really like. Yeah, Kobe is—I'm uh, a big fan of him. I really shouldn't write my big board down somewhere besides Twitter, but I've got—I've got Kobe number five on my big board. I haven't updated it in a while. Last time I tweeted it was late March. Wow. But yeah, he's my top point guard. I think he's—he's he's got it, which is weird. I, I i hesitate to kind of be that guy who oh intangibles or maybe my, your listeners are gonna god this guy's full of shit
0: (laughs) no Jackson they listen to us man that's all I talk about so don't worry about it.
1: (laughs) but no I'm a huge fan of him I got I got him fifth maybe I don't think I don't know if I'll have him quite that high when I solidify my board in the coming weeks it's crazy that the draft's five and a half weeks away six weeks away (laughs) yeah but yeah I'm I'm a huge fan I I love his shot creation um like David said he's super quick um a little bit it's kind of a little bit the same with jaw where I think he's better when he's already on the move but that shot crease, by that step back jumper um, didn't shoot great from three. I think it's about thirty five percent this year. Yeah. But that release is quick. It's fluid. Even though maybe it's a little bit from the side of the head. No, not it's not great. But I'm not a shot doctor, and it looks fine. The free throw percentage is good. I really like him, and I I think he's going to be a really good NBA player for a long time. And kind of again like Culver, um, maybe maybe this is my archetype. I like the fact that he can defend. Yeah. I don't think that's talked about enough. He's got super active feet. He's lively. He's bouncy on that end. Cuts off driving lanes. Um, he's better on the ball, I think. Um, I haven't, I don't have a great feel for off ball defense, but I think he's a smart enough player that the more I look at it, that I think he will be okay with it. But I just really like his defense. I've got quite a few just clips and sequences of him staying in front of guys with light on his feet, staying on his toes, being bouncy and jumpy. That really have me enamored with him and the fact that I think he can be really good on that end is is really valuable.
2: I think I know your answer to this question, so I'll throw it to Max. Max, would you take Kobe White? or Colin Sexton right now? Oh, I mean, listen, I'm not a huge Kobe White fan. We'll get into that. But if we're talking about uh, Colin Sexton, I'm going to take Kobe White. (laughs) Yeah, I I just think that that's an interesting comp in that, you know, we touched at the top with him. He's not a natural point guard. He's a bit more of a combo right now, six-man type guard. And uh, I guess the big question with him is, is can he develop further into being more of a floor general, Max?
0: Well, I think that and this is uh, going back to what Jackson said, I think the it factor is there for me a little bit more with uh, Kobe White. Yep. I just feel like he gets what's going on in the floor more than what Colin Sexton got. Mm-hmm. Um, also, he's not a good passer, but he actually is willing to pass, unlike Colin Sexton. <laughs> yep. Also, I think the burst is better. And listen, I don't think Kobe White has like elite... Uh, he's fast. You're right, he's fast. He's not as quick as I mean, obviously not as quick as Deere and Fox, but not even as quick as like some of the second level guys. Yeah, I, I think the burst is great, but the burst and quickness are a little bit different to me,
2: especially college versus NBA. Yeah, um, just just having that one athletic skill coming into the league can be, you know, quite useful. Though I think we've touched on it before quite a bit in terms of just, you know, having something that you can come in and and do right away and. and be a little bit of a standout. I think. Oh, I
0: totally agree. I think Kobe will be right away an okay bench player. Yeah. The, my question with him is: Is he ever going to be more than an elite bench player? Mm-hmm. Like, is he ever going to get to the point where he could be the? Because here's the problem with Kobe White: If Kobe White were a wing, I'd be really in on him because I think that he's good and I and I feel good about him. But the problem is if you're if you're going to be a guard, if you're going to be the lead initiator on a team, you have to be really fucking good. Yeah. Because there are only some of those guys who matter. And I'm not sure Kobe's going to get there because he doesn't have, like, the elite, elite shooting or passing or really the Trey Young skills or even Darius Garland, who I acknowledge has a lot of problems, but at least he has, like, that crazy pull-up uh, handling shot the dribble thing. Yeah, that at least how you could envision at least someday being an, like an all-star level point guard. I, I don't see that one elite thing with Kobe White. Yeah, and it, even I if, don't think it's impossible.
2: Even if he was a six-five point guard with you know a six-seven, six-eight wingspan that could slide over to guard wings, that would be mm-hmm. really enticing with him. But I agree with Jackson. His defense is good, and he's kind of got the effort yep. and the tools there with the moving the feet. Uh, his off-ball stuff, I guess I have watched a little bit of Jackson. I think it's a little lackluster. But the negative wingspan really means that he's likely only a, a one-position defender despite his height. And I think what you've touched on there, Max, is you know if he did at least have the propensity to jump over and guard some wings as a point guard, it would make him... A hell of a lot more intriguing as a prospect. I'm so glad
0: you brought up Colin Sexton. I think he's like a much better Colin Sexton. That's yeah, I, what I, would call I think
2: that. he's a sixth man. I think you touched on it. There yeah. is like that's his kind of uh, ceiling. Maybe we should give Jackson a chance at, at the end here. That it, you know, he's probably a little higher on him than both of us to to prove us wrong there, or at least explain why we're wrong, Jackson.
1: No, yeah, I mean, I think all of those all the things you you said are, are valid, and I. I do totally acknowledge that I, I don't think he has a ton of like huge star upside or anything. I mean, if he, if he made one or two all-star games, I think that would be a total win by, by every account. Yep. But I just, I just like in a draft that I don't think has a lot of good basketball players. Um, I just think he's a very good basketball player who can, mm-hmm. can fit a role that if you haven't, if you have him on a team that has like a, I guess, a, a larger primary ball handling team like the Suns or, you know, like the Rockets or whatever, you know, just guys who have 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six primary ball handlers, yep. and let him be a spot-up guy, shoot off movement, um, attack and transition, create a little bit every now and then off the dribble. I, I really like that. My biggest concern offensively is, you know, like you said, he's, got, he's kind of got T-Rex arms, and he doesn't think, I don't think he has, and as a result, I think he has fairly small hands because his dribbling isn't you know he's I don't think he's a very great ball handler I think a lot of times yeah that restricts him from getting into the lane last I checked, I think has pretty good finishing numbers around the rim but part of being a good finisher is getting to the rim itself and that's a place where I think jaw hasn't beat I, I I have him a little higher than jaw I think I had jaw seven last on my board yeah like I said I could see those I could see myself rearranging that in due time but yeah I think the biggest concern is he is he going to be a guy who's so good shooting off the dribble and shooting off movement and creating step back looks that he offsets some of maybe his inability to, to drive the, drive the lane on a consistent basis. But I, I just, I just think he's going to be a very solid player on both ends. Maybe I have a little bit of propensity to, to pick, to have safe guys ranked higher. Maybe that's another, one of the things I enjoy in, in uh, my draft philosophy, but, um, I just see a good basketball player there on both ends.
2: I think that's fine in this draft. I'm kind of glad you touched on it, Max. I think we're all going to have a prospect like this. I think it just shows the sign of the strength or lack of in this class. I think, you know, there's always going to be someone probably in this draft that goes in the top 10 or we have ranked in the top 10 that in other drafts we we probably believe should be in the late teens and and maybe that's kobe white here max well yeah absolutely i mean i have brandon clark number fucking two <laughs> and i feel like in most drafts that he'd be eight for me and like 30
0: for others so like I, I can't be here throwing sounds yeah but uh let's go on to rui Hachimura, a 21 year old junior from the gonzaga bulldogs he is six foot eight 225 pounds. He's a power forward and he really, really is a power forward. Mm-hmm. He is reportedly has a six seven two wingspan. Sorry. Not six two wingspan. We probably be talking about him if he a two wingspan. <laughs> Frank Kaminsky. Uh, <laughs> he will be 22 in February. David, where is Rui going in mocks?
2: Uh, a couple of the dedicated places like the Stepien and Red haven't really ranked him yet because they don't go uh I guess as far down as where they're probably gonna have him. But ESPN has him at 18. Bleacher has him at 10. The Ringer has him at 19. Sam V, again, a mock draft has him at 13. And Yahoo has him at 17. So he's really looking like a late lottery prospect at best at the moment, Max.
0: All right, Jackson. This is your guy. You're from Gonzaga.
1: What do you think? So this is this is a guy I'm not particularly high on. Um, I think that falls in line with a lot of people on, on draft Twitter. Yep. The, the issue is that his skill set, I don't think, is conducive to being really good in the NBA. Mm-hmm. The the thing you're buying with him is his rapid his rapid development. You know, he went from a didn't play at all freshman year, or played sparingly in blowouts, uh, solid sixth man last year, who kind of came on uh, came on hot in WCC play, uh, and then he became a, a star this year. Averaged twenty points a game, six and a half rebounds, uh, played for one of the best teams in the nation, All American, all that. But I just I just worry, you know, at, at a certain point. Regardless of kind of where your background in basketball comes from, you know, he picked it up late, he has good physical profile, and, you know, he just kept rapidly learning. At some point, you plateau with your development. And I just th- don't think he's shown enough. Yeah. Big mid range guy, kind of likes to muscle his way inside, get downhill, but I'm not sure he's going to be a great pick and pop guy from three. His shot's really flat. Mm-hmm. You know, I worry about that to an extent. I don't think he has a super quick release. You know, I, I think he's okay attacking close. I don't think he's super dynamic there. And he's just so, like, he's just so bad defensively, particularly off the ball. Like, the instincts aren't there. If you want to buy into his defensive instincts getting better, all the power to you. Yeah. Just in general, <laughs> if you're when you're evaluating them. Which is fine. You guys get better at that stuff. I don't think, like, I just saw so many games this year, obviously. I mean, that's the team I watch the most of, if anyone, uh, in college basketball this year. Just so many games where he, especially off the ball, just, you know, a guy would roll in, and he would have to tag him, and he would just miss it. Yeah. Or uh, he'd ha- maybe he has to perform an X out and, close out the guy in the wing rather than the corner and he would just not do it he basically i i don't know maybe it's too harsh but he was basically the reason they lost to tennessee he they just kept running pick and pops with admiral Schofield, yeah and he just refused to he just couldn't read the play for some reason he would just sit in the lane and he got better there he's hes okay on the ball truthfully especially wcc playing conference play he had some plays where he was able to kind of contain the ball handling on, on a hedge or a switch and and he kind of funneled into the baseline or forced passes but just really worry about the defense. Um, if it looked bad against college basketball players, I'm worried about what it's going to look like against NBA players who are smarter and move the ball quicker and more athletic. <laughs> yeah, and I just don't know like what he's great at on offense. I mean, he can he's pretty good at sealing guys off inside with his frame and and broad shoulders. Uh, he's good at putting his head down and kind of getting to the rim. Not an ex- not an explosive leaper though. I think again, I think people maybe see him as that, and he's just not. He, the amount of times I watched him grab a rebound or go inside and get blocked, yep. trying to finish him in, in traffic. Like if I had nickel, I'd probably have like at least sixty of them or something. <laughs> so I'd have like three dollars, which would be awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I just don't think he's great in there. And if he's not like he's not like six eleven, he's not going to be towering over guys at, at the power forward spot. Um, and I just hesitate to invest a lot or a, lo- a lot or a, a high draft pick in a guy who crafts his offensive value as a mid range guy. Not much of a playmaker who struggles to defend, isn't much of a three point shooter. That just doesn't sound like a guy I really want to bank on, even if I acknowledge that you are buying into some of that rapid development because he picked up basketball so late. Yeah. Just a lot of hesitancies with him. That whole
2: late bloomer tag is is a really dangerous thing, I think, with prospects, especially for me, Max. I, I you probably know have have fallen for that a little bit in the past. You know, elite physical tools has come to the game late you know how much upside does he have you know you can kind of fall into believing he's he's going to keep rapidly improving but as Jackson said there comes a time where there's a ceiling capped on that and uh, I'm trying to get better at not falling for those teasers. and I think he fails your can he play basketball test Max and therefore I'm pretty low on him
0: yeah I mean I have not much to add here he fails it miserably Uh, He's very good at certain things that aren't important for NBA uh, fours and fives. Mm -hmm. He's very bad at all the things that's important for NBA fours and fives. (laughs) So unless he is, you know, latecomerness makes him, you know, in the next three years develop, being really good at everything he's terrible at right now, I'm uninterested.
2: I'm just not interested. You know, what my, where I'm at. you know what my comp for him is max after watching quite a bit of him offensively oh, what's that uh we've we've had both of these guys on the sun so you should be able to at least understand where i'm coming from here if you mix the games of the morris brothers that is rui hachimura oh no oh that's the worst thing i've ever heard in my life
1: <laughs> but like without without marcus morris's like pull up mid-range shooting and Markeith's, like, pick-and-pop threat. But. Yeah,
2: I just think, you know, the, the down-low game is reminds me a lot of what we saw out of Markeith yeah. uh, with the Suns, and that. then, kind of, the way he can kind of get out in transition a little bit, but also fall in love with the mid-range is very Mar- Marcus morris But he seems
0: like a nice guy, right? So I guess two wrongs uh, create a right, the two personalities uh, <laughs> Yeah, <on>. exactly. Exactly.
2: <laughs> to use Jackson's Gonzaga link here, i got one last question to, to throw to you, and we could probably end on Rui Jackson, but how did Clark and Rui go together? Because the film that I watched, I noticed you know a lot of the bad defensive stuff was plastered over the cracks by Clark, and <laughs> a lot of the good offensive stuff, I actually noticed a lot of the time Clark wasn't on the floor when uh, Rui did a lot of his good stuff down low and had a bit more space,
1: especially early on in the season. Uh, they definitely had some. Some awkward moments. They got better, I think. I think few Mark Few kind of understood how to use them a little better as the season progressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was certainly awkward at times. Uh, two guys who aren't really sh- three shooters that would prefer to just hang around the rim as much as possible if they could. Yeah. But yeah, defensively, <laughs> the defensively just the things Brandon Clark made up for. Not just not just with Ruby. You know, Josh Perkins, the starting point guard, uh, was okay defensively, but not not great. Norvell was hit or miss. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think it was okay uh but it certainly wasn't ideal they they ran a lot of high-low stuff Clark is such a good passer for his size I think that's something that people who pay attention to him, knew that but didn't have a ton of assists but they worked a lot of high-low game because Clark had such a good touch as a passer or whatever uh, that helped a lot yeah but uh, yeah it wasn't ideal by any means they got better like I said I think they they started to kind of use Rui as a spot-up shooter a little more they'd run run some pick and rolls for Clark and obviously he can jump out of the, the gym so that helped and because, I mean, because Ruby could shoot the three in a pinch, I think his three-point percentage was pretty good on the year. Because he was so good for mid-range, it was, it was better. Mm-hmm. It was it was a solid fit, but it, it definitely wasn't one of those things where it, or they were kind of maximized together, I don't think. Cool.
2: I
0: think we can leave it there, Max. Let's do it. So we're going to move on to seven seconds or less. I don't think we prepared you for this, Jackson, so uh, <laughs> get ready. So seven seconds or less is the segment where one of the hosts asks the other and the guests three questions for which the other and the guests have seven seconds Or less to answer and have not prepared beforehand, David is going to be asking Jackson and me three questions. Are you ready, Jackson?
1: Uh, As ready as I'll ever be, I guess. Yep. All right, David, let's go.
2: I'm going to be real strict on the seven seconds this week, Max, because we've run pretty long. So, Jackson, I'll go to you first on all of these, and Max, you can go directly after. Question one. Which team from outside the top five, so those with less than a ten percent chance, would you love to see jump up for Zion? It's Washington, New Orleans, Memphis, Atlanta, Minnesota, the Lakers, Charlotte, Miami, and Philly. Okay,
1: I, I gotta go Philly, right? Like, I, <laughs> if I got to cover Zion, like, I that would be phenomenal. I would just get to watch <laughs> him, and that would just be that would be phenomenal and and fun. So I gotta go Philly. That's my
2: favorite non-Suns one, just for the pure chaos. Max.
1: That would be so much. Uh, mine's
0: Memphis, which is an uh, under the radar one, but I would love to see Jaron Jackson and Zion play together in the front court, and I would love to see
2: Conley uh, kind of be the point guard. For love guys. it. All right. Question two: Which team from inside the top five would you love to see slide back? So the Knicks, Cleveland, Phoenix, Chicago, and Atlanta slide
1: slide back like. Like, in terms of... Get screwed.
2: Get jumped by a few teams. Yeah, Basically, have a dig at your, your least favorite team out of those five, Jackson.
1: I don't want Chicago touching any of the any guys I like. I, they're poorly run, and I, I don't think Boylan's a very good coach. They got some nice pieces there, but I just... I don't want Chicago to do anything, anything to do with guy like Culver or Kobe White or, uh, yep. or even R.G. Barrett or, or Zion. Or yeah, Brown. not
0: to be boring here, but I'm going to double up on that, because they have so many players in so many positions already... Unless it's Zion for them, like they're just going to like screw up whoever they draft. So I, I, I agree with Chicago.
2: All right, fuck Chicago. <laughs> so question three: All Suns fans' dreams come true here, guys, and Phoenix win the lottery. The next three picks are as the odds go. So that's the Knicks, Cleveland, and then the aforementioned fuck Chicago. <laughs> so who are the best fits for those three teams? Uh, I'll repeat them again. you got New York at two, Cleveland at three, and Chicago at four. Jackson, go for it.
1: For the Knicks, I think – I mean, I I like Culver there. I mean, I think I, – I I'm not a huge fan of Knox, so I, I think they're – I'm not a huge fan of even worrying about fit at that high a level. So I'll go Culver, two. Yep. Uh, Cleveland was three. Yep. I'm just going to – I'm going to go Brandon Clark. I think they struggle. They don't have a ton of good defenders on their team. Uh, I think Clark was number three on my board last I checked. Yep. So I'm going to go – I'm going to go that them. I had Jante Porter, three, but I'm still worried about him with the ACL or whatever, even though I think he's a tremendous player. Uh, and then four, I, I would go with Chicago. I'd go Ja. Uh, they need a point guard. Chris Downs, not the answer. Um, that would kind of fill out their core moving forward. Even if you don't believe in some of them, they'd have at least five NBA players, I think, in Jaw Levine, Porter, Markkanen, and, and Wendell Carter Jr. So yeah. um, I'd go Culver for the Knicks. Uh, Brandon Clark for the Cavs, and uh, John Morant for the Bulls. Nice. Max? I'll throw
0: John Morant in New York just because, you know, flashy, MSG, whatever. Mm-hmm. Three, Cleveland. I'll give Cleveland Brandon Clark because I think he's the best player uh, other than Zion. Yep. And then I'm going to go to Chicago. Let's give him RJ Barrett. They need someone to like be the focal point because they have no focal points. Uh, so, yeah, have him do the do the playmaking and have Lowry be the other guy. And maybe they can actually figure out what the hell they're doing. Nice. That's it. That's it for us. Uh, Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Plug whatever you want. Twitter handle, upcoming articles. What do you got coming on?
1: I've been pretty... Pretty dormant, uh, just busy with school and, and doing the Sixers coverage. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. If you're listening to this pod and you're curious about that Culver article I kept alluding to, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'll be happy to share the link with you. And then you can find my work moving forward. Fan side of the Step Back, uh, SB Nation Liberty Ballers. And then as long as the Sixers are still alive in the playoffs, you can find my my post game recaps for for the Sixers uh, on, at the Athletic Philadelphia. But yeah, that's that's all I got for me and. Hope to to have a great, great summer of of NBA writing and and draft coverage and all that. But uh, right now, I've been pretty dormant, I guess is the phrase. (laughs) Well, we
0: appreciate you joining us, and we appreciate you listeners joining us. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. David it was fun
2: yeah shout out to those people who gave us five stars since last week and a couple of reviews as well Max as you said last week we'll have to have an episode where we dedicate a little bit more time to reading them out probably last point is all my fingers and toes cross for the lottery and and next time we uh, are on the pod we'll have the results and we'll have to have some exciting pods talking about the prospects that are more likely in our range max
0: i can't wait for it just to be happened and over with so i don't think about it anymore all right thanks guys